When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Ray. I'm Marcus. And we're here to talk to you about Podcorn, who are a great new digital ad agency that we just started working with here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast. If you're a podcaster and you're looking to monetize what you're doing, this might be the platform you want to consider. We looked at it after getting an email from somebody at Podcorn. We spoke to Todd at Podcorn. Who's a great guy who was really helpful in explaining how it all works to us. And we signed up right away and immediately started putting the proposals together, which, by the way, the proposals are so easy to put together. Even we could do it. Seriously, if we can do it, you can do it. Listen, go to podcorn.com and check them out. I think you're going to like what you see there. There's ways of uh, integrating into your podcast all different kind of levels of involvement. It's really up to you to choose the businesses that you want to be involved with with your podcast when you work with Podcorn. You never give up any rights to your podcast by signing up with Podcorn. They support you in every step of the way. They ensure that you're protected, compensated for the work that you do, which means you make money for your work. And the Marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when they monetize. That's important to people. You want to see what we're talking about? Go to their website. It's podcorn.com slash podcasters. We just think you guys should know that Podcorn is sponsoring this announcement, but it doesn't mean we don't really love them and like working with them so far. So check them out. Because it's time to monetize. This is the imbalanced history of rock and roll. I'm Marcus in the Darkest, and alongside my co-host Ray Coob, we're going to continue and wrap up our conversation with Rough House Rough Nation founder Chris Schwartz. He is a visionary, and he is here not only to share stories, maybe break some news, but he is also here to talk about his book Rough House from the streets of Philly to the top of the '90s hip hop charts. And he puts a lot of the hip hop scene from the '80s and '90s into perspective. So, without further ado, let's continue our conversation conversation with Chris Schwartz. And the other one was that you and Ms. Hill have become even closer over the years since you worked together and that you still stay close in touch. And I well, thought I'm, that I'm was representing cool. her right now. I love Lauren well, Hill. Right. She's middle, a genius. I'm right in the middle of putting together a new record deal for her. She's well, a genius. There you go. Scoop on the imbalanced history of rock yeah, and roll. Actually, I haven't really talked about that on it. And anyway, I had to ask though, I like the cough button here. What does that mean? You, when you if got you have to cough, you yeah, cough, you hit it, hit it. And now you're... And now we there can you go. See, yeah. Ah, do I have to go back on? No, no you're uh, on. Yeah. It just, ah. just gives you a little. I thump. just, it's so bizarre to see a button that says cough. 
You know, well, you know, like, what <laughs> happens is you push it and a man puts his fingers out from underneath the counter and takes your, uh, you know, turn your head and cough. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's nice. <laughs> cool hand, Luke. I'm just getting my mind blown I, I left got, and right I, here. I know. These, I these like, are crazy. All my notes are out the window. I know. I've known, I'm trying to follow along. But, you know, you're talking about the 80s and uh, the 90s with Cypress Hill and uh, and uh, the Fugees, which I did not know their name was changed from the Refugees to the Fugees. Oh, so no, that was, was really actually, cool. Yeah, on the you, mic. Ready, you want to hear something funny? Yeah. All right. I think was there was a, there was a group call. You remember Translator? Yes. Sure. Everywhere that I'm not. You're everywhere that I'm not. Yeah, oh so, my God! Just you really so, know. dude, I have that on vinyl at home. Right, but, but That's how cheesy. And, and here's the thing, and I hate to say this because I, I I don't like making fun of people or anything like that. But so now it's 1993, 94. Who gives a fuck about Translator, right? 80s alternative. Nobody. Nobody gives a fuck about Translator yet. The Fuji's name was the rap translators, spelled differently. Yeah. Right? You know what we were told? And this is the really fucked up part, is that I think one of the guys from Translator worked at Sony Music. Uh, right. uh, but here's what we were told. We can't use the name Rap Translator, and it's not because Translator really cares. It's just that they're getting back together. <laughs> I was like, I was like but, are you, know, you fucking... So, with it, like, like, it made, made me think, like, you know, the you Empire know. Rock Club and the guys yeah. with the, their bellies hanging over their spandex uh, pants, you know what I mean? Holy like, cow. Well, it worked out pretty well for yeah. the Fugees, though. I know, but so then it became, uh, it was the Rap Translators to the Translator Crew to the Refugee Camp to the refugees by the time it was like there was like 20 <laughs> names and it became the fugees which was cool except that it's they, one of the hardest things to do yeah. for for musicians to name the band the know? right name I mean, the right name the things people go through it's almost as bad as naming a podcast yeah i you know what uh, <laughs> you know it's funny i i have a a merchandising company that i'm doing with a guy who's one of the biggest screen printers in the country and we're doing all iconic hip-hop iconography oh and and I can't come up with a name for this company for shit. I, I just like, It'll I tried. I tried. It'll come I, to you. I can't do it. You're yeah. going to wake up in the middle of the night and be like, that's the fucking name. You yeah. watch it. You'll be in yeah. the shower and yeah. that'll be the name. One of the things that I thought was really interesting is you talked about the Fugees and Wycliffe's uh, Haitian background, but the Caribbean music influence as well. And you talked about your visit to Haiti. And I don't think most Americans realize what real fucking poverty is around the they world. They have no idea. People of the shit real world. in holes in the ground. Like Rivers they go to the bathroom they, and they yeah. have no idea. I mean, it's awful. I have to tell you something. The first time I went down there, I was like, and this is before the earthquake. This is right. when Haiti mm. was the, if you went online, who is the poorest country in the world? Haiti, right? Right. And I just saw things that just like, and I, I was thinking, I can't believe that in the modern world, there a place like this exists. It didn't make any sense. It no. makes you know, no but, sense. But when you start to realize the history of the country and the political part of it, right. it's because the politicians will not allow the country to thrive. Marriott, Hilton, and whoever else, two other big hotel companies got together and said, let's put in four big hotels down in Haiti. Right. And create this thing. The government tried to extort so much. They see they tr they try uh -huh. and extort. They don't make it worth anybody's while well, to go down. Papa there, Doc and all of that. Yeah, the Duvaliers. And, and, and that's the whole thing. They just make it impossible yeah. to make anything happen. And I got to tell you, Mickey, right, Sweet Mickey, who mm -hmm. became he was a carnival musician who became mm -hmm. the president of Haiti. Right, he's probably the first guy who maybe had the right ideas and everything, mm -hmm. but still, there's just I think there's like there's a lack of political infrastructure with the right attitude and the right idea. Is to pull it off because as you remember 
post earthquake, they got all this funding and everything. Mm-hmm. But still, but you had it went to all the politicians. That went yeah. to pay off. And, you got to use it right. Yeah, but no, very interesting. And then you went to you spent some time at Goldeneye. Yeah. Will you describe Goldeneye? I'm a huge James Bond guy. I've been to Jamaica and I've seen where some of uh, Doctor No was filmed yeah. and areas like that. But what's the Goldeneye place Goldeneye like? Goldeneye is Ian Fleming, who is the creator of James Bond and you know Crazy Thing, the Broccoli's, yeah. who did uh, Chi Chi Bang yeah. Bang, Albert Broccoli, and they built Pinewood Studios. They had the option on Goldeneye, and the day the option it was going to run out at 12 o'clock that night, they got a deal from it was United Artists gave them a deal mm-hmm. for James Bond the last minute. Whoa. It's crazy, but anyhow, yeah, Ian Fleming, Chris Blackwell, who is the founder of Island Records, mm-hmm. which we all know is uh, Bob Marley, you yeah. two, Steve Winwood. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. I mean, you know, yeah. one of the greatest record labels the in the history of amazing. music. Chris Blackwell is a Jamaican. English and his family, his mother was Ian Fleming's girlfriend and his father was an army captain who died and um, his mother started dating Ian Fleming and through the family he ended up inheriting the uh, GoldenEye estate. Cool. And, uh, he also Bro. bought Noel Coward's estate, Firefly, mm-hmm. which, is, which is, you know, up the street. He owns a lot of resorts and hotels throughout the Caribbean, but GoldenEye, it's, uh, it's awesome. It's like its own private place. There's like a cove and there's like a little James Bond beach and, and then you could watch the James Bond movies in, in the house, which is Ian Fleming's house. <laughs> it's Whoa. like, yeah. I, it's a really sign cool, me cool. up. I would do yeah. that. Yeah. I, I would do that on like one of those vacation getaway Chris Blackwell is a very cool, wonderful, charming, brilliant man. And he's been my mentor in the music business for over 30 years. Because, yeah, it was cool to hear about his influence or his tie-in with uh, Rough House Records. Yeah. And I love Bob Marley. My son at three years old loves the grooves of Bob Marley. And his influence on rock and roll is tremendous. Oh. And your point about him being the most influential rock icon in the world at one point yeah. makes total sense. He, uh, you know, it's funny. He says this all the time. He said it when he got inducted in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He said, people always think that it's because of Bob Marley. Now, Bob Marley, obviously, is the most iconic music personality in the world. He's bigger than Elvis and the Beatles and Michael Jackson because he is all over the world. Everywhere. world. Yes. Like, everywhere. Places where Third white world. people don't go, yeah. right? So, Chris said, what really, really made Island Records is when he signed Steve Winwood. And Steve Winwood. Is, is that the Ark of a Diver album, his first on uh, no, Island? No he, no, he had him back in the Blind okay. Faith days. Oh, back in the yeah, Blind yeah, Faith yeah. days. And, yeah, and he said when Island Records signed Steve Winwood, that's when all these rock bands suddenly wanted to be on Island, right? And he told me another great, great, I'll tell you one more Chris Blackwell trivia. He told me that uh, a young artist who made a record for Polydor that failed had come to him and wanted to be on Island, but he was still signed to Polydor. And he said, you know, I don't know what to do. And Chris said, go home, write 10 of the worst possible songs you can write. (laughs) Take them to Polydor and have them pass and come back and I'll sign. Cat Stevens. Oh. Wow. That's insane. Baby, baby, it's a wild world. Wow. Wow. Pretty interesting. Serendipity. Very Serendipity, much. Yeah. Keeps coming up. Yeah, it keeps coming up. I want to ask you something. Because it was such, you'd done so much already. The, the Rough House had been happening in, at full stride, you know, in full stride. But when the miseducation of Lauren Hill comes out, before it comes out, what was your feeling the first time you heard that record done? Oh, I personally thought it was a masterpiece. But as I said earlier in this interview, it's like, I think sometimes just because I like it, 
doesn't mean the civilian population is going to dig it. You know what I mean? That's true. And that's the well, one that's thing. Well, that's true of anybody. Well, you mentioned Kraftwerk and King or... Crimson in your book, and the civilian population ain't big on either of those two for the yeah, most part. Yeah, I know. But you know what's funny, though? No, like, but what did King Crimson... What I want to know is, you've known Lauren, you've worked with her, and now you see yeah. her coming to this way other level in her as an artist. Yeah. When you first heard that record, what did Chris Schwartz say? Well, I heard, I, I heard bits and pieces of it at a time that came in, and I, you know, but by the time I heard the entire thing, I already heard everything on it. Okay. But I'll tell you, the song for me initially, uh, I remember X Factor. I remember having conversations with her about it because I thought the verses, like she does these two really long verses in the beginning. And I said, you know, you really need to cut that in half and have, come in with the sing-along and everything. And she goes, no, 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 let's just let it go, right? And it was so weird. It was like that night I'm listening and suddenly it was like, yeah, she's right. Because when she does eventually come in, Ten years later in the song, <laughs> it, it's more impactful. And you've it's been like, waiting for it. Okay. Yeah, and it was and it was really cool. And I was like, I was so glad I didn't try and argue that point. And the other thing is that when I heard "Lost One," because you know I, I had a good idea what the song was about, but at the very last minute, we decided as Roughhouse to put it out as a white label, and we didn't tell Sony. Oh, that's want, one of my favorite parts of the yeah. book. We didn't want that them whole in, story. We didn't want them involved in it. The reason being, because what we had found with Sony, right, up to this point, and this is going to happen with any major label. That's true. And this yeah. is just business, and mm. I, I don't take it personally, but it's when I'm hearing from retailers and DJs, well, I'm being told that I have to play this record or I can't get the new Cypress Hill double vinyl set. And it's records that we have nothing to do with, right? Yeah. But, so it is what it is. But we didn't want that with this, you know? And we sent out, I think, 2,000 copies of this white label. I think 2,000. And God, this shit hit. They could not believe we just went Were they losing that. their minds? Oh, they were the marketing... <laughs> black music they were pissed and here's the thing there was a guy named michael malden right who was jermaine dupree's father who was a very good friend of mine who became head of the black music department right i felt bad i felt i felt guilty i felt like shit that i did this but i did it you know yeah. and the thing is he told me he goes man donnie is about to blow up your phone in other words he goes you don't know how much trouble you're in right mm -hmm. you know it's weird Donnie never called me. Did you ever talk to donnie about it nope i'm gonna tell you why because Kraz called me up and Praz said that he had heard that people had been blowing up Donnie's office to tell him it's the greatest marketing they ever seen. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, because yeah, Praz had a big, big thrill for that one. He was psyched for how you handled it. Yeah, yeah. And he thought it was very smart. Did that whole idea sort of come as you were finishing up the album, or did it, like, were you and, were we you and Lauren it. Hill record, just like, fuck it, done. we're doing it? The record was done. It was, yeah, it was her idea. She's she said, brilliant. Fuck it. And I was like, yeah, all right. I love all Lauren right, Hill. Yeah. Huh? And it was dope. And it was the thing is it was such a knocking track you know what i mean it's yeah. like you're doing it's a, it's a, it's a new miss lauren hill record right and before this album comes out you're getting this hip-hop track with the whole jamaican dance hall feel and like yeah. this whole thing and djs went nuts over it it was crazy it's the spark but you really? did that not only with lauren right. hill you also with uh, the wycliffe solo album you did the same thing and you battled the label on it why were you so adamant about battling the label on both their solo records because the wycliffe record started out we were in haiti and uh we were drinking haitians drink this stuff it's like kool-aid 
really deadly. Is it a rum punch type it's of drink? It's a rum punch type gig. Yeah. Rum, type, rum <laughs> punch. Tomawana? It's a rum punch type affair. A moonshine rum. And uh, I, we were sitting at this, you know, they had these beautiful hotels that were built in like the 40s down there that are all dilapidated, but they're still nice, you know? So we're sitting in this like veranda overlooking Port-au-Prince and he starts saying, you know, he goes, I want to do this record that it's going to be like traditional Haitian music, but I'm going to infuse it for a little bit of pop and everything. So that's what it was. And originally this record wasn't going to be on Rough House, right? So we started working on this record and then it started to become something else. And as I say in the book, he calls me up on a Tuesday with uh, David Sonnenberg, the manager, and says, I'm hiring an 80-piece orchestra. I said, yeah. He goes, I said, when do you want to do this? And he goes, Thursday. And I'm like, now I'm meeting with Donnie the next day to play him music from the album, right? And I don't have anything approved. We, you know, we got no mm. budgets or anything. Right. And I go in the, I have a meeting with Donnie and I give Donnie the CD. He listens to about 30 seconds of the first four or five songs and he takes it out and he hands it back to me, which is never a good thing. Never a good thing. No. And he says, quote unquote, I don't know. Sounds like something you listen to on vacation. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, maybe this isn't a good time to bring up the Avery's Orchestra that we need on Thursday, right? Ooh, yeah. But actually, I, I fronted that money out personally. And we did it. And then, you know, as we all know, the record mm-hmm. did really well. It did pretty yeah. well for you. It's great that you battled the label and went with your gut on that. And throughout the book, which if you read the book, and I highly recommend, I've read a bunch of books this year, and Rough House is by far my favorite book of 2019 that I've read so far. And it gives you a feel not only for the hip-hop industry, because of your work with Dandelion and you were competing with other labels, you also had some experience in the rock and roll world and some of we, your artists really crossed where, over on European tours more with oh the hip-hop artists. Well, that's had, where we intersect, really yeah, intersected yeah, first in those Dandelion. Yeah. I remember playing uh, Weird Out uh, as know, a new song. Uh, but, uh, Weird Out, do you know what's crazy? That song's that fucking great. That record was a top five modern rock single and what's the uh, the rock station in Chicago, the modern rock station? It was Q101. Q101 played that song 65 times in one week and it was it got the most plays in one week in the history of that station and they bought them out there to headline the weenie fest they do in the summer and I bought them a school bus that's amazing yeah and so they left late at night and I don't know what they did but they showed up late and when they got there the lead singer Kevin, God bless him. You know, he said it's funny. We 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 converse now once in a while online, but back then he didn't like me. I know I, I should say he didn't like me, but it was like I was the record label. You know yes. what I mean? And you remember what they it was were like back very then. yeah they were very anti record label well, anti corporate. The whole grunge thing. I'm too Nirvana. close to this whole thing to comment much. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say that. You know what I'm talking about you know here's the thing. I know shit. Yeah, I know you hey, know here, a lot of shit. Here's dude. what I would say Amazing. about those bands back then though. They act like oh you guys just want to sell platinum <laughs> records. We just want to play clubs we're not into money right there none of them are into money until it comes time to negotiate and do contracts then their socialist values go right out the window (laughs) you know what i mean then it's all about the money of their lawyers you know but anyhow (laughs) but see the thing is i knew these guys when they were in uh jojo slick and mama volume no 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 no. and i didn't know that you had something to do with mama volumes demos i didn't know mama volume forget i when i when there's she males oh yeah sure sure she males i didn't know you had the shimales oh yeah i had a bunch of rock bands Oh, yeah. I had a bunch but of rock bands. And she males kind of morphed I into was, Mama Volume, and they had a demo. Yeah. We were playing it on Rockers. We were yeah. getting things I, going, uh, and then... Uh, I, uh, was Dandelion so anti-label that they were self-destructive in that way? No, they were self-destructive because there were key members of 
member. I'm going to say I'm going to say member or members because I don't want to identify anybody. Yeah, that's fine. But there was somebody that had a problem that uh, that I also had for years and years and years. And, True. You know, yes. A, and you uh, talk about your issue in the book re- at yeah, the very beginning. I had, I had so. substance abuse problems. And as we all know that if you're in a working traveling band, it's very hard to go out on the road because you can't be away from the familiar sources of where you get your hookups. You know what yeah. I mean? That road life yeah. beats the crap out of you. Yeah. Ray, this is where we pause for a quick break with our good friends from Crooked Eye Brewery right in the heart of Hatboro. Well, you know, Marcus, we talk about the guys at Crooked Eye Brewery so much, we should make them like partners in the podcast. (laughs) And they should make us partners in the brewery. Well, I'd like that because I get to go and drink all the good stuff for free, right? Yeah. Yeah, all right. (laughs) Well, you may not get to go and drink for free, but you can go and have a great time anytime you go into Crooked Eye. They're in the heart of Hapro, right at York Road and Montgomery Avenue. Stop on in and have uh, anything that's fresh off the board. Uh, There's so many great offerings. Jeff Mulhair and the Chief Brewer always work on some neat stuff in the back room. Their new expanded brewing facility, Marcus. We saw it when we did the New Year's Eve party. The facility's great. It's got great sound to record a podcast in, which means... (laughs) But it also (laughs) makes good beer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we... (laughs) If you want to go in with friends and you don't drink beer, they've got uh, wine and cider and all kinds of things, especially in the wintertime. There's always a hearty ale or something that you can quench your thirst with there at Crooked Eye. You want to find out what's going on entertainment-wise, you can go to their website, CrookedEyeBrewery.com. Good friends, great beer. Next time you need a pint, make it a Crooked Eye right in the heart of Hatboro. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. We're back with Chris Schwartz, Rough House, Rough Nation, Visionary. So that was the reason they imploded. But there was another group. I'm going to tell you an interesting Rough House trivia fact. There is a group we had called the Goats. I love the Goats. And the Goats had something that, that very few groups have. And what they had was that they had, besides the support of the label, Rough House, they had the full-on support of Sony Music, United States, and Europe. 
Columbia Records president Don Einer said, this is our Rage Against the Machine. He was so proud and wanted this thing to happen. And the goats got treated like royalty and they went over and it was so great, but they imploded, right? Same, yeah. same reason Dandelion. Right. Okay, now cut to the next years going on. Mm -hmm. The goats received more fan mail from all over the world than Criss Cross, Cypress Hill, wow. Fuji's, Lauren Hill, Wyclef combined. What? Fan mail from Eastern Bloc, like from the weirdest places. You're like, how? Like no, no, New I Zealand. Know we them, we and it was like, we get, so we get bags of like mail. So how are they That's hearing crazy. about them? That's what I want to know. It's like, okay, we played them a little bit they, here they in like, They sold like 400,000 records worldwide. But so it was like that first album, Tricks mm -hmm. in the Shade, then No Ghost, mm -hmm. No Glory. It just struck a chord of a lot of people. Yeah. It was crazy. Really you know, good. we went on a tour with this group called Big Chief, right? Yeah. The goats opening up for Big Chief. So here's what happens. Go to a show. Places packed for the goats. And then they all leave. All the Everybody leaves before Big Chief comes on. I get this phone call from these executives up at Columbia who are friends with Big Chief's management mm -hmm. saying, oh, the goats are leaving their equipment on stage and going off to smoke pot. No, they're not. I was out on like five of these shows and we had a road crew on. and everything. That did not happen, you know? And it was like, well, maybe what should happen is maybe the goat should headline and Big Chief should open up and then that way everybody gets what they need. Yeah, that's crazy. That's the rock and roll business. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Chris, you've made a lot of different deals. You, you, you Roughhouse, obviously, you did things before that and things after that. You came to a crossroads where you ended up working with Warner Brothers and you had yeah. the option of either going with DreamWorks or uh, was it EMI? E EMI, EMI. Yeah. First, the pre-question is, how fucking cool was that house when you met David Geffen there? Oh, my God. It was, who, who's the artist that does the stuff that drips all over the canvas? Pollock. Jackson oh, Pollock. Geez, kind so, of a whole nother so, level. Thank you, Caroline. He bought Jack Warner's estate and right. had it refurbished to the original thing. So like the bathroom doors look like it has those like that accordion wood, like they're uh, like, a, like a safe, you know? The downstairs, this is in the middle of Beverly Hills, but you have these big floor to ceiling windows and you're looking out and you just see like you're in some vast expanse of parkland, you know? We're sitting there eating and I'm just looking over this like bar this thing in this room and I'm looking and there's two huge Jackson Pollocks hanging there and you know they're Jackson Pollocks. So you don't even have to ask, right? <laughs> and then well, I'm starting to notice. Collector. So after we have the lunch, he takes me on a tour of the house, like everything up through all the hallways and everything. And wow. the guy's got hundreds of millions of dollars worth of art in this yeah, house. Like it's half a crazy. billion or something. And here's the thing that I found out later on. He doesn't live there. He lives there. Yeah, it was he, in the book. You said He has a little house out in Malibu <laughs> and he uses this house for meetings and parties and stuff. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it, you know? But anyhow, but yeah. Still. But the thing is, meeting him was really cool because, let's face it, the guy starts out in the mailroom at William Morris, becomes Laura Nero's manager, but then goes on to forge a rock and roll dynasty. If you read books like The Mansion on the Hill and stuff like that, without him, there'd be no Eagles, there'd be no Jackson Brown, there'd mm -hmm. be no Crosby, Stills, and Nash. You know, it's like you just look at everything he's done. Like, yeah, right. like Chris Blackwell, you know what I mean? And you One can't of the great help. facilitators of artists in our times. Yeah, you can't help but, and I'm just sitting there like gall gaga. But, uh, you know, at that time, though, you met with Geffen, and you met with EMI, and then you end up going with Warner Brothers. That was for Rough Nation, right? Yeah, and, and, and now, I did. And, I, I, and, and I, now, Russ Thyret, a great record yeah. man and all that, but uh, the politics of the label changed, and Russ leaves shortly thereafter. Yeah, did it you ever sucked. think maybe you should have gone one of the other yeah, ways? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I thought maybe I should have gone. Because here's one thing David told me about DreamWorks. He said, I won't let it fail. 
Meaning yeah. that he goes, and let's face it, David Geffen was indisputably, and probably still is, probably the wealthiest person in the history of music. I mean, he's he's got more money than Paul McCartney, you know, Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. the guy, you know, we know that, how, yeah. how wealthy this guy is, right? Yeah, he's sure. insanely so, wealthy. But the thing is, with Warner Brothers, it was more of a sentimental thing because I wanted to do something important. What I wanted to do was that at the time, if you looked at Warner Brothers, what was their legacy in black music? It was Prince mm-hmm. and Ice. Tea, right? And if you want maybe cold chilling records, but who gives a shit, right? But that was it. And I wanted to be the guy because let's say Warner Brothers and Disney at the time were the last great American owned entertainment conglomerates. Right. And the fact that Warner Brothers was a fully American owned entertainment conglomerate that did not have black music, did that, you know what that I mean? That makes no and sense. I thought, I want to be that guy. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to go and infuse the roughhouse DNA into this infrastructure into and the create bunny this hutch. thing. But the thing is, there was just a lot working against us and I did not realize at the time because the thing is I'm thinking they're a major distribution power right Right. so that's all that they need to be but it's when you're at Sony in New York right that's like you're in the Yankee and when I went to Warner's it was like the equivalent of going to a AAA farm team at the time let's look at for what they were right they're an antiquated the music and the culture you're dealing with rock rock label right right? and the biggest things that they had going on was Eric Clapton the Peppers and Travis Tritt you know what I mean that's what Warner's was you know besides their massive catalog so everything there you could not do anything spontaneous like you could at Sony oh no you'd need to you should ask for that 14 weeks ago and they're, they're, the way wow. they marketed everything was just so antiquated you know mm. what I mean and then the worst part of it was when they did the AOL merger which drove the stock down which caused an uproar and then that pebble that hit the pond in New York caused a tsunami in Burbank, you know? And it was bad. Really? It was like, then it got to the point where I, you know, here's the thing. I did $5 million in billing in the first nine months I was there, right? What I should have done, and I talk about this in a lot of interviews, what I should have done was the artists that I put out through Warner Bros., like major figures and no question and other stuff, I should have put it all through because I had an independent deal also with their ADA, their independent distribution. Right. I did an outsider's record through them and it was Eminem's first ever record recorded thing with the outsiders, yeah. right? And I sold 400,000 records through ADA without even doing anything, right? I should put everything through that. Right. I could have been like the Viet Cong. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> while, 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 all this shit, while all this shit was going on, you yeah, know? Right, right. And I could have like, they would never <laughs> even notice wait, me, wait, you know? Right, waiting for everything to pass. And they yeah. just come out. You mentioned dead. earlier uh, when we were talking, Chris, we're talking with Chris Schwartz from Rough House, Rough Nation here on the uh, yes, Balance Rough Nation. You mentioned, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to get back to the cars. You have a thing about cars. How many do you still have? Now? Yeah. Just regular just one or two. One or two? Yeah. Do you still you have your roles? Of cars? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, one night, that, that one night it took thing, us that, out on the town. We were in that was you was had, it, had a redone. It was the black rolls? with I think with red interior. Yeah, was, was that the rolls? Oh my yeah. god, that car was beautiful and it had a great sound system in it. We were out listening to the new car. Urge Overkill record was brand new. It was just finished. Uh, we were out yeah. listening to that. I remember when and that album was new. It was getting ready to come out on on yeah. Roughhouse too. But I remember that. And uh, but so so the car collection, the old Mercedes, everything all gone. You know, my wife tends to take a dim view of stuff like that nowadays. You know, I, it's, just, it's just like, you know, I have an 18 year old daughter that's uh, going to school over in Germany. 
Yeah. And that's more of a priority. I understand. Know, heating oil and, you know, like, and like somehow, somehow yeah. the car fetish doesn't seem to fit in with the uh, well, yeah, Fair uh, enough. You know. But they held their value. You mentioned yeah. your wife. You've taken her through some pretty big storms. How did the two of you survive all of the maelstrom that happened in your life? I have to get back to you on that. I don't know if it's over. <laughs> <laughs> she grew up in a very similar socioeconomic situation as me. She was a pretty tough chick, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. she's from the South. And her father had kind of, I would say, he he kind of left them when they were kids and left the mother to, you know, social services that tried to take them away a couple times. And Ooh. the mother started stocking shelves for Keebler and then became, now she retired as a major Keebler executive and stuff. Oh, but, wow. you know, she went through a lot of rough stuff growing up, you know. So you both had those similar. Yeah. So you had that in common. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about that, too. Not to dwell on it much, but a lot of times in life we have things that challenge us. And a lot of times when it comes to physical abuse from your childhood, it has to do with a parent or or an adult relative. Yeah. You start right out of the gate in your book with the story of you with your older brothers and they're brutalizing. Beating the the, fuck out of you. Because there was a lot of kids, right? How many? It was ten ten kids. And you were in the second half. Yeah. And you got the shit kicked out of you. Not just in the way that brothers will fight. This was like. Nah, it was it was bad. It's funny because for years and years and years, I've been trying to pick it apart and figure it out. And then you realize it's because it was really two separate families in a way, you know, because mm-hmm. there was a huge gap of time between the two sets of five kids each, right? And, you know, my father was on the road all the time. My mother was an alcoholic who was constantly institutionalized and everything. So our house had that kind of Lord of the Flies dynamic where the elder kids, a couple of the older brothers decided, you know, let's I'm going to take advantage of the situation. Well, beyond. Listen, yeah. that's what yeah. happened. Yeah, I almost well cried beyond. a couple times at I, the beginning I, I, of that I, book. And I, I never knew this. And uh, I want to commend you as your friend and as a writer who's telling you your story so that other people, because we always talk about the parental abuse. We don't often focus on the sibling oh, on sibling abuse I, that's out there. And it's I, a lot worse I, I I had think, no, than people You realize. know what's funny? I used to think I was the only person, like, this was some really special, unique situation. Yeah. And then, like, one day just I went online to look up sibling, and I was like, oh, my God, this is like a thing. But you There's know a it huge is? communities but, online, but the, I'm the, sure. But nobody, nobody really talks about That's it a right. lot. And, you know, and I'll tell you this, you know, since I've written a book, there's people in my family who weren't abusers who aren't talking to me because they're just upset that I bought out this. But, you know, like to me, it's like, okay, you want to be a Holocaust denier? That's on you. You know, yeah. I don't care anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But um, <laughs> it was one of those things. It's a scenario set. The reason I wrote about it is because I felt like, how can I tell this story and leave that out? I didn't know how to do it. It's part of who you are yeah, and who you and, became. Yeah, so and it also prepared you for that opening moment in the book, which I won't talk about because did, people got to read yeah, it. You got to read you, the book. It's a great read, and you really didn't get into all like the dirty details and down into the like like you said, you know, the war room another stuff. Another hundred pages there or yeah. so that you know that people really might not have been really that. Well, I just keen like to read. I feel well. I feel like sometimes in order for a narrative to make sense, you have to characters have to have backstory. And mm-hmm. a lot of backstory got cut out just because it was about the pacing of the book. And they wanted music moments, music moments, music moments. So that's what they gave it. One of the people we haven't talked about with that you worked with was Nas. Up with a straight force, I would 
What did you see on the uh, Live at the Barbecue tape? What did you see in him from that that made you have the vision to see Dope that he delivery. could be... You could tell he was young, and his metaphors and everything he was talking about were far beyond his years. And then when I met him, I was like, oh, my God, this really is a young kid. <laughs> like, Which gave him a chance to have a long career in the game. But it's funny. If you listen to him, in his, he has a song called Sign of the Times. It was on like two albums ago. And he talks about me in the song. But in the song, he talks about his story. And every label passed on him. And Columbia didn't want to sign him. Right. So they told at Search, they said, if you want to sign it, take it to Rough House. If they want to do it, we'll back it. Because they knew if the record failed, we'd end up paying for it out of our pipeline. Revenue. Right, out of so, your end. Yeah, yeah so and I made the mistake of giving the five songs to the guys from The Source. And the guys from The Source called up Donnie, the president of Columbia, and said, oh, we're putting them on the cover. This shit's going to blow up. And then Columbia wanted them back. <laughs> I understand what that means, like from a personal and business standpoint. Did it feel good to know that Rough House had finally gotten Big Red to loosen up a little bit and let the true spirit of hip hop in? No. What it felt like was that I felt like out of a sense of obligation that we had to allow them to buy us out of Nas's record when we didn't want to do this. But at the time, and I've talked about this before, in the first four years of being with Sony, with Columbia, CBS, and eventually Sony, I was the wimpy kid there. I was easily talked into shit because when I got that deal, when we when we got that deal with Sony, that was a big event in my yeah. life. And, 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 and it, it wasn't, not, it wasn't and everybody just, around you, too, yeah. all the people you were working with. Yeah, and it was like everybody could not believe it. It's like, these schlubs got a deal with Sony <laughs> Music, right? <laughs> and we didn't have any hit records or anything. You know, we had no... We, matter of fact, I didn't even have any artists. They gave us a deal based on Joey and I, me and me, a promoter, Joey, a mixer, and school ED and everything like that. But we did not actually have a record label. That's crazy. Right? You we, built it though, bro. Yeah, we did it. But the thing is, man, it's like I didn't want to upset the status quo. I was like, you know, this is the big red machine. This is CBS. Wipe your feet at the door. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, recess lighting. Show some and, fucking you know, respect. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. But I didn't know how powerful I was. I was a Twinkie that couldn't taste myself you know i didn't know <laughs> at the beginning once you get things all established though you find these kids crisscross they become huge yeah now that story I heard is crazy the story of when the, the day they were finishing up the song jump where like everybody from the office came out into the studio to yeah do the, we all we all were sang. you on there yeah, were you yeah, in there too mm -hmm. that's yeah. all that's all everybody from ralph Hansen studio four in the studio yelling jump jump we all yell warm it up chris too on the warm it up chris song i remember when they and a few were months news. later it's yeah. on every radio station yep. in the world okay, can i tell you this there was a time where I could find Jump playing on the radio anytime I wanted. All I'd do is turn on the radio and flip it to three different stations and it would be playing. That's yeah. crazy. I was at the uh, the Sam Goody in, um, I don't know, what was the place in the uh, in Ardmore in the little strip mall there, the record store? Mads? No. In Ardmore? Was it Sam Goody? It, must, it, it was Sam Goody. Sam Goody. Sam Goody. I remember going in there and there's 200 crisscross cassettes, right? Hmm. And this kid is like 12, 13. He's looking, he's walking down, and he sees the crisscross cassettes, and he goes, Shh! like, he grabbed it as though there was a 1,000 people around him. And only five left, right? No, yeah. but there was 200 of them. of them. But the way he grabbed it, it, <laughs> it was, was like, like, I found it. He was like, I was like, <laughs> like, wow, man. Like, he grabbed that thing like like, like somebody was going to get it for him. It created that kind of a sensation. Yeah. And that, that sparked a lot of things and created a lot of that ball moving forward that created the ceremony. 
serendipity of finding different artists and partners in crime along the way. Many of your partners in crime from Roughhouse days are still my friends all these years later. It's crazy. It's it's the bonds that uh, tie us together. There was a nice girl who worked for me named Lon Ray, who's now the general manager, senior vice president of A&R at Warner Brothers. Rob Dippold's a partner in um, Primary Wave. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, there's like a lot of people that work for Roughhouse went out and got these amazing big jobs. Mm -hmm. Well, you guys shook shit up, so they like that about you guys. You mentioned throughout the book many times that you're a reader. What are your favorite books of all time? My favorite, favorite book ever that I ever, ever, ever read was probably, well, the first book I ever read when I was in first grade was Charlotte's Web, which I I loved. Uh Um, But probably... I read a series of books when I was in fifth grade. I read a book by a guy named Claude Brown called Manchild in the Promised Land. It was about a guy who was a young African-American gang member in New York in the 50s and uh, everything his gang did. But then there was a bunch of other books that inspired certain movies like about gangs like the Mau Mau's and everything up in New York. So there was a lot of books like that that I read. And then I became, I guess in the early, probably right around the early 80s, I became a true crime nut. And at one point, I had over a thousand true crime paperbacks. Holy cow! Wow! I was like, I would go to airports and anything that with like a photo on the front, I would just grab it. I've actually <laughs> grabbed books I've already read. You know, it was like um, a different yeah. cover. I, yeah. <laughs> hey, but look, reading is mm. something that opens all kinds of doors mm. for us, and it's cool that somebody who is such an avid reader should become a writer, especially yeah. with such a great story to tell. Me right now, I'm working on a new book. It's called Rebels and Poets to Kingpins and Moguls. It's more about how the major distribution powers colonized the hip-hop industry in the late 80s. You know, the whole thing and what it had done to the artists and the mm-hmm. label owners mm-hmm. and stuff. And then as far as, you know, the company, I've got some very cool new acts that I'm working with. I got a group of kids from New Jersey called No Facade. And even though they're all between the ages of 18 and 20, They've been together for seven years because it was two cliques that went to two different middle schools that all wrapped together and they all came together in the joint high school. I have a singer, a young lady by the name of Kenya Vaughn. She's from Norristown. Just an amazing, amazing talent. I've got a couple local Philly artists, uh, Del P. I'm sure you see his stuff all over Instagram. It's another voted best unsigned R&B singer in Philly last year. Uh, Jay Reesey. Well, cool. So you're keeping busy. And now I'm the question new, is, what, you, what is it going to take form? What's the next thing? Label? Manager? No. I have a kind of like a hybrid platform that I'm in the midst of discussions about with different label entities. I have meetings up in New York on Thursday. And I can't really get too much into it. It's just that it's something I don't think anybody's really doing. And I think it's going to be very cool. Nice. Well, we'll watch the funny papers and find out what, what's <laughs> the next step See you in for the funny papers. Can't thank you enough for coming in. Thank we talked about this uh, when we you. started the podcast. And here you are. This is the first podcast of 2020, our first podcast oh, of wow, the new year right. and yeah. our second year as the imbalanced history of rock and roll. But uh, thanks so much for very coming in, brother. Very excited to hear it. Thank you, Thank sir. you, Chris. Thank you. Marcus, thank you. This was awesome. This was really fun. I like the historical aspect of this a lot. It's so fun to see how these pieces that we see in the public get put together with all the craziness and all of the maelstrom and all of the insanity and all of the chance and the luck and the timing that all go into it, along with creativity. You have to align the stars. And the thing is, anytime you're involved in anything that's a human endeavor, when you're responsible for somebody who is 
in a creative space who's an artist and everything like that. It's hard. It yeah. really is. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I've had, look, you know, I've had to drop people, right? But they end up living in my guest house <laughs> for, for a year and a half. And it's, you know, it is what it is. But again, you know, sometimes you get caught in that traffic jam at the intersection of art and commerce and, you know, you do your best. That's all you can do is do your best and try and make everybody happy and, you know, hopefully put out good music. So thank you guys. Well, thank you. Thanks buddy. Give us your feedback. If there's anything we got right or anything more you think we should know about what we're talking about with Chris, Chuck D, all you got to do is hit us up at imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. That's a good way to get hold of us anytime. Or you can check us out on Facebook, Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, or Twitter as well. Imbalanced Histo. After that, I think we're a little parched and might need a pint. Well, we have to thank our friends at Crooked Eye because, you know, they've got the cure for what ails you since 2014 and they sponsor the Imbalanced Podcast. That's going to wrap it up on part two with Chris Schwartz. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. On the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.